Morning. Good to see you. So three or four weeks ago, I was one of these young people that Leon took to Bulgaria. And that's unexpected right there. But he said it again right from this stage this morning. So I'm going to take that. I was there and I was one of those people. And for the first seven days that we were in Bulgaria, we were helping on the youth camp. You've heard about it. And we stayed in a house on the site. And has anyone ever been on that mission trip before? Do you want to just, there's one or two. And you'll know the house I'm talking about. A lot of people had told me about what this house was like before we went. And um, I was prepared for what it was going to be like. It's probably past its best. But it was okay. We had eight rooms, I think, between us and four shower rooms. I think if I use the term shower room, that conjures a picture up in your mind. And that picture is probably a lot better than what the reality actually was. But the showers worked. We took Nathan Wheeler, who's a plumber with us, and he came in very handy occasionally. The showers worked. And if you got up first thing in the morning, which I always did, they were hot as well. If you were third, then if you ever hear anyone complaining about cold showers, you just know that they were the people who just never got up first. One thing, if you go on a mission, that was my second mission trip. I've been to Albania three years ago as well. And when you're living up close and personal in close quarters with all those people for that period of time, you really, really get to know them. You find out the ones who have the short fuses. You find out the ones who really are the caring ones. You find out the ones who are the pranksters and the jokes, jokers. That's just the leaders. And then there's teenage lads who seem to have one topic of conversation and it's usually something to do with toilets. And how many times they've been, they felt it necessary to tell me that. And I was like, I don't really want to know, really. But hey-ho. But you really, really, really get to know people really well when you're living together with them like that. And when I came home, I was thinking about this thing about getting to know people. And we come to church, don't we, every week? And if you only come to church on a Sunday for your hour or whatever you know, you don't really get to know people. And it's the same with God, you know. If we just have God as, oh, well, we go to church on a Sunday, we do our hour and a quarter, and that's my time with God, it's going to take you a very, very long time to really get to know him. The way to get to know God is by being this up close and personal on a day-to-day basis. It's about him being your first thought when you wake up in the morning and your last thought before you go to bed at night. It's about coming to him and bringing him your problems and your your stresses of, of your life and speaking to him. And I, I heard once of someone I used to know who whenever she was holding a meeting, um, she'd always have a, a spare chair in the room. Not out of a spooky, weird kind of thing, but almost as a reminder that she wanted Jesus to be part of her day and part of her meetings and part of everything that she did. And so she had this spare chair just to remind her that, you know, Jesus was with her, not that he was sitting on the chair, nothing weird, but just to remind her that he was with her as part of her day. And that's how you get to know Jesus really well. That's how you get to know God really well, by having him part of your everyday life. And last week, Laura spoke from the Old Testament and she talked about intimacy with God and about struggling with him and wrestling with him and bringing the problems of our lives to him. And in our quest to get to know Jesus a little bit better, I want us to look back into the New Testament. Um, If you're not familiar with the Bible, the New Testament begins with the four Gospels, which is the story really of Jesus and his life here on earth. And 
But I don't want this to be just uh, this is the next sort of half an hour of our Sunday and then we all go home and have our dinner. At the end, I want us to do something that I'm hoping if there's anything that you get from this morning, you'll be able to sort of take it away with you and think about it and wrestle with it for the rest of the week. And the story that I want to share with you, as it says on the screen, the widow's mite, which might be the King James Version, the sort of older Bible version. It might not say that in your Bible if you have the NIV now, but um, some of you will be familiar with it. And I want to read the story. It's in Mark and Luke, but we're going to read it from Mark and chapter 12, verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching and if you didn't really know Jesus, you would probably expect that he would be really good friends with the religious leaders and with the leaders of the temple. At the end of the day, this is Jesus. He's like the founder of Christianity. He's like Christianity's most important person. And they're like the, you know, they're the religious leaders. They run the temple. You'd expect almost Jesus to walk in and them sort of say, oh, Jesus, you know, the the VIP room's over there. Do you want to come in here? And, you know, we've got kind of nicer coffee in there. You know, it's only the instant stuff over there. We've got the filter coffee in the VIP room and and the biscuits are better. And, um, you know, you might want to come in. And I, I remember once going to a church where we were involved in something that was happening. And in the break, it was, they said, oh, you know, come into the VIP lounge. And I felt a bit uncomfortable, if I'm honest. I'm like, why would I go in the VIP? Why would any church have a VIP lounge? Because at the end of the day, we're we're all people. And, you know, you kind of expect almost like that treatment for Jesus. And for Jesus to be like, "Mm, yes, I'm quite impressed by that. They're looking after me. I am, you know, I am who I am. But Jesus doesn't act like that with the religious leaders at all. Jesus doesn't do status. Jesus sees everybody as equals and he always looks beyond the outward appearance. And a couple of weeks ago when Matt Gregory was speaking about the, women, the woman of ill repute and he said, you know, the people around were going, well, surely you know what kind of woman this is. And of course he did, but he still treated her with honour and with respect and Jesus really, really doesn't do status. And he goes and sits by the offering box and watches That would be a bit interesting, wouldn't it? We're going to take up the offering. And we have a special guest taking up the offering. It's not Brian MacDonald this week, it's Jesus. That would be a challenge, wouldn't it, when you're going to be putting your offering onto the plate. And here is this lady, and she comes, and she's picked out by Jesus. And she puts in her two small copper coins. Back in Bulgaria, the currency is called the lev, and... 
you get almost two levs to the pound, and levs are divided into something called statinkies, which is a bit hard to say, and I just call them stinky, really, because they're the tiniest, some of them, the one stinky coin is like the tiniest little coin that you could get lost in the corner of your purse, and you'd be kind of trying to dig it out, and, and especially when you know you're only there for 10 days, because... You know, you go into a shop and there's a queue and you're like, oh, they've got to count out all these stinky coins or I'll just give them a note, oh, I'll just give them a note. And then you end up with more and more change and you're like, no, I'm going to really have to count this stuff because I'm going to go home and I'm just going to have a pile of it and I'm not going to know what to do with it. And it's, you know, it's just stinky and it's, it's nasty. And it's probably those kind of coins. You know, do you remember the old half pence we used to have if you're old enough? It's those kind of coins possibly that this lady put into the offering. Coins that other people might even just throw away, to be honest, because they were pretty worthless. The first thing I want us to really pick out of this story is the fact that Jesus, and this is a little unexpected, I suppose, Jesus wasn't the temple finance officer. He wasn't the temple treasurer. How do I know that? Well, I could just imagine if our church finance officer was watching the offering going around and watching people putting in a couple of halfpennies, that that might start his heart racing a bit. He might start to get sweaty palms. He might start to think, hang on a minute, I've got to pay the staff wages at the end of the week. And actually, there's a big roof repair going on and, and then we've got to pay for the photocopier and <gasps> what are we going to do? If people are just going to be putting in a few small coins... He's not going to commend it, is he? He's going to be quite concerned. But Jesus isn't concerned at all about the amount of money. And it struck me, you know, that Jesus... Sorry, turning the page over. Jesus was probably the most confident person to actually walk on planet Earth. And certainly in terms of money, he would have been absolutely 100% secure and confident in his financial situation. And it wasn't that he didn't care about the temple, he did. He called the temple his father's house, he called it a place of prayer, he cared about it. But he had no financial worries at all. Despite the fact that, yes, he worked as a carpenter when he was younger, but when he was in ministry, there's nothing really in the Bible about where his resources came from. He, but he didn't worry. And I want to read some words that he said that are quoted in the book of Matthew on this subject about worry and finance. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was not concerned. He was completely confident 
about money. And you know, because Jesus is completely confident about money and about finance and about security, we can be too. If you know Jesus, you can be totally confident in all those things. And you know when the Bible says do not worry, for some people that's actually quite easy because you're kind of wired to be so totally laid back and horizontal that you couldn't worry if you tried. And other people, at the other end of the spectrum, I'm one of these people, who finds the whole do not worry thing really difficult. When, you, know, oh, you know, God, you've just put don't worry. I mean, you know, it's all very well for you. You're God. You know, and I'm me and I'm a human being and I've got all this going on and you're telling me not to worry. It's easier said than done. And even if I manage it during the day, I might wake up in the middle of the night and, oh dear, ping, I'm worrying, you know. And that can be how we can get. And, you know, we are wired differently. And, you know, don't beat yourself up too bad if you do find that you really struggle with this. But, you know, God really is our provider. And I know personal experience is difficult. I mean, Three years ago, nearly, my husband was made redundant and all of a sudden our income dropped by two-thirds and that was a really difficult time. And the last couple of years, sort of working through all that, haven't been easy and we haven't had everything we've wanted, but we've always had what we've needed and we've always had enough. And earlier in the year, as we were getting really quite tight and the redundancy money was nearly gone and, and my husband landed a big contract and started work again, Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, our car that had been sitting on the drive almost unused for a couple of years, really, just has drowned hell's in a bit, all of a sudden, it was doing 500 miles a week. And after about a week of 500 miles, the car went, what on earth is going on? And started making a really bad squeaking noise. And, and Al got back on the Friday night, and he's going, I don't know what's up with the car, but it's making a really bad squeaking noise. I'm like, oh, you can't be driving 100 miles a day with a noise like that. And... We didn't have time to sort it out how we normally would. We only had Saturday, and it was like, we're just going to have to take it to Quick Fit and get on with it. So I took it down to Quick Fit and walked home, and the guy said, leave it with me, I'll ring you when I know how much it's going to be, and then we'll fix it. So I got home, and um, there's a letter from the bank. And it said, oh, you've been paying payment protection insurance for the last donkey's years, and we're going to send it you back because we've reviewed it, and we owe you £300. I was like, oh, great. 300 pounds, what am I going to do with that? You know, and you start going, oh, what can I do with it? Oh, yeah. And then I checked in my bank account to see whether they'd actually deposited the money and found that a year before, we'd paid 200 pounds as a deposit on my son's uni room and they'd sent it us back because he obviously had been very good for the year, hadn't done anything damage to the room. And they'd sent us 200 pounds. I'm like, 500 pounds, come on, I'm having a really good day. And you kind of know where this is going, don't you? By the end of the day, the garage rang, they fixed the car, and I had about enough left for a decent bottle of wine, and that was it. But we had enough. And yes, I might have gone through and planning what I could have done with my 500 quid, and God might have been thinking, well, you can plan all you like, but it's actually all going to quick fit. But, <laughs> but we had enough to cover what we needed. And we can be confident. We have a Heavenly Father, and we can be confident and we can battle through and wrestle with this worry thing about money. And the second thing I want to think about the story was that Jesus didn't measure the gift that the lady put on by what was given, but by what was left. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it, about giving? 
You know, every week we take the offering up and it all goes in sealed bags and it gets taken to the safe. And then on a Tuesday, three or four of the staff get it all out of the safe and we take all the security stuff off it and then we count it. And when we count the offering, we count what's there. And it's great and it's really good and we're really blessed in this church by what people give. We never ever sit there thinking, well, I wonder what they had left. We don't do that, don't worry, we really don't. You know, but Jesus was looking at that and he's going... He could see so much more than what appears to the human. And I don't know about you, when when I was a kid, we used to have a game that we used to play. And I don't know whether it's still around today, but it was called the Game of Life. Have you ever heard of that? One or two people, some are going, I don't know what you're talking about. But it's just a board game, and you basically went through this whole game of life. And you started off as a young person, I guess, and you, you went to college, or you had a business, and you got a salary, and, and then you got to a point where you all stopped and got married. It was actually quite a moral game, actually, when I thought about it, because everyone got married and then no children ever appeared until afterwards. So it makes me wonder, you know, it shows it was a generation ago. But, you know, you got through this process, you got married, depending on what square you landed on, you ended up with any number of children. And you went through and you went through and you went through and eventually you got to the end of the game or towards the end of the game. And if you'd managed to gather enough resources together, you could go to the millionaire's mansion And if you hadn't, you got to go to the retirement home. So some of you are thinking, dump Catan, I'm going to go and get this game. And and so you'd go through all this game and you'd be sitting there for a couple of hours and you played it and you'd come there and, yes, I can go to the millionaire's mansion, I have enough money. And you'd get there and what I always used to find really, really frustrating about this whole game was you'd get there and about two shanks of the dice later, everyone finished and the game was over. And you spent all this time building up all these resources together to go to the millionaire's mansion and you were there for five minutes if you were lucky. But you know, there's a, there's a kind of a sad irony, isn't there, about that game? And our culture and our society just implores us to just gather more and more and more resources around ourselves so that we might one day be able to live somewhere better or do something better or get somewhere better. And all the time you're doing that, your life is running out. And you might think if you're a Christian, you know, it's a good thing to challenge yourself occasionally and think, is God giving me all these resources just so that I can gather more stuff around me? And I'm not, not against saving and being a good steward and all that is really important, but surely God gives us our resources so that they can be used more now than, you know, or just making us a comfortable future that could last for hardly any amount of time. Sorry, turning over. And if you're not a Christian or you're kind of checking it out, you might think, actually, I've come to a point in my life and thinking, is that all life is about? Is just getting more and more stuff and getting better and better off? Is that it? Is that what life is? And it made me realize as well, you know, when Jesus got to the end of his life, the the Roman soldiers who crucified him, they shared Jesus' resources between them. And it was a robe, a coat. There's no indication of anything else, just that. Because Jesus, everything that he'd had, he'd used to bless other people throughout his life. And this is not necessarily all just about money because some of us have more money than others, some of us have more time than others. And sometimes this is about how we use our resources in time as well. You know, are we using all our time to serve ourselves and to do things that we enjoy and that we want to do? Or are we sharing our time with other people. 
And there's another thing in our culture as well about, you know, just improving yourself all the time, improving the way you look, improving your body. And I'm all for keep fit and keeping healthy. I think that's important. You know, but there's a, you can have all your cracks filled in, can't you? You know, you can have your every, everything kind of put right and you can actually get to a point in your... You could be almost at your grave and with the body of a 22-year-old. That seems to be the aim sometimes. And I read this quote from... I'm sure you're familiar with Bear Grylls, this um, survival guy who they tend to parachute into the middle of a jungle and he has to get his way out without any you know, a knife and eating bugs and all this sort of stuff. And he's all a bit mad and, you know, but he's, he's a Christian and I think, you know, he gets some of this and this is what he said. He said, life's journey is not to arrive at the grave safely in a well-presented body, but rather to skid in sideways, totally worn out, shouting, wow, what a ride. <laughs> I can imagine him saying that, can't you? But what a great thought. You know, we're not meant to be just preserving everything so that we finish life going, wow, look at all this, because it's over then. And thirdly, the story goes on, the widow put in everything that she had to live on. The story's not saying that we have to give everything we have to live on all the time. There's nothing to say that that's what the lady did every week. I mean, we don't know anything else about her. But on this occasion, that's what she's done. And that must have been... A, give, a gift given in faith. It's got to be. If you give everything you've got to live on, then you're giving out of a place of faith. You're relying on God to provide what you need. She'd obviously taken you know, Jesus at his word. I'd say we don't know anything else about her, but you know, she wasn't worrying about her own personal position. And Jesus always commends faith. Jesus will always respond to faith. And a few years ago, faith got a bit of a bad name in the church because there were people going around who kind of got this theology of like, well, if you believe something hard enough, if you have enough faith, it will happen. doesn't matter what it is, but if you believe it hard enough, it will happen. So if you're struggling financially, if you believe hard enough, if you have enough faith, God will just bless you and not just give you what you need but you'll actually be really wealthy and if you're ill you know if you have enough faith you will be healed and there's this sort of name it and claim it and you know believe and you receive kind of theology going around and so faith in a way kind of got a bad name this kind of you know way it is. but you know without faith the bible says it's impossible to please god because whoever comes to him must acknowledge that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him earnestly. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we do need to have faith as we grapple with our circumstances and our issues. And if you're struggling financially, you know, you need to come to God in faith. When you wrestle with God, like Laura was talking, that needs to be a faith wrestle, a belief that, yes, God, I believe that you are going to provide what I need. It may not be everything I want, and it may not happen the way I want it to, but I'm going to believe that you'll provide. And if we, you know, if you're ill, you know, don't give up on it. Keep grappling away with God in faith. And yes, there's no guarantee that you will get healed because God doesn't heal everybody. But, you know, if we come to him in faith, we've just got to keep doing that and keep going and keep coming to him and see what God will do in us. Even if healing isn't the way it ends up, even if God ends up taking it down a different route, you know, or doing something else in you. You know, we have to come and we have to wrestle in faith. And, 
there's a, a story of a guy in the Old Testament whose name was Job. And Job had a really good life initially, had a good family, had lots and lots of money and wealth and position and everything. And God allowed Job to go through a period in his life where he lost everything. He lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health. He was basically a mess and a heap on the floor. And he had some really unhelpful friends around him who, and most of the story, if you read it in the Old Testament, is a, is a dialogue between them. And they almost get to the point saying, Job, you might as well just give up and die because your life just isn't worth living. And Job really had faith in God because he said, to the, he said this in Job 13. He said, even if he kills me, I'm still going to put my hope and trust in God. And what faith was that, that he's so strong that he's saying, whatever happens, I'm going to come back to God and I'm going to come in faith. So if you're wrestling with God for something, you know, don't wait until you have all the answers before you come to God in faith or before you move on in the situation. You don't have to wait till you've got all the answers. And if you're not a Christian or you're searching it out and you've got questions and, you know, there can be really legitimate questions like, you know, if God loves people, why does he allow such suffering? Why does he allow stuff to happen in Egypt if God loves people? Or you might have more slightly wacky, you know, where do the dinosaurs fit in or did Adam have a belly button and all those kind of questions. And people can have all these questions, some more legitimate than others, but... If you need to come to a place where you can tick it all off and say, I've got the answer to all of those questions, and then when I get that answer, I'm going to become a Christian, you're never going to make it because God responds to faith. And there's always got to be a step of faith. So whatever we're coming to God with, whatever we're wrestling God with, there's got to be a step of faith. So I want to just kind of summarize, and then I want us to just do one more thing to close. Firstly, God is our supplier and we can be confident in him. Secondly, challenge yourself. When I give, what do I have left? Am I just trying to gather more and more resources around me? Thirdly, what am I wrestling with God with that I need to take a step of faith? And we're going to sing a song in a second if the guys would like to come back. And this song says, Jesus be the centre. And going back to what I said at the beginning about knowing God and knowing Jesus and having Jesus as part of your everyday life is so important, having Jesus as the centre. So as we sing this song, I want you to really think about the words that you're singing and use it as a prayer to say, yes, Jesus, I want to know you more and I want you to come and I want you to be the centre. But while we're doing it, we're going to do something a little bit unusual. We're going to hand the offering plates around. And on the offering plates are some coins and I want you to take one. So that's something that doesn't happen very often. That's quite unexpected, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want you to put anything on it. I just want you to take one of the coins. And what I want you to do with that coin is I want you to take that coin with you this week. And whatever, I'm hoping that something I've said maybe has sparked something in you or something you've thought, oh yeah, I want to think about that. Whatever it might be, it might be that you need more confidence in God for your provision. It might be that you want to challenge yourself about what you give to him. It might be that you need to take a step of faith. But I want you to take that coin. I want you to put it somewhere this week or carry it around, put it in your pocket, whatever you want to do with it. But put it somewhere this week so that will remind you. So that this isn't just a talk on a Sunday, but this might be something you can carry with you throughout the week. So let's stand together. We're going to sing this song, Jesus Be the Centre, and take the coin 
and use that as a response and a reminder this week of how God may have spoken to you. Thank you.